0: people look at coinbase as a exchange for buying and selling crypto assets i would argue that coinbase is well beyond just a crypto exchange you know they are really building the amazon aws of the crypto economy if you think that crypto is going to grow coinbase is going to have a role in a lot of that development way beyond just buying and selling bitcoin or ethereum
1: Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, I am joined by Director of Financial Technology Research at JMP Securities, Devin Ryan. Uh, Devin, I have not talked to you in a while. We use, we go way back. I used to um, work with you quite a bit when I was at Bloomberg covering what was going on in this space. Were you, what was your title back then? I feel like this is a new title where it's more formalized that you are the fintech guy over there now. Yeah,
0: thanks, Julie. Great to reconnect here. Um, so, you know, my background's really uh, equity research for nearly 20 years. Um, my. Uh, start was in kind of traditional financial services companies, so uh, banks, investment banks, asset managers, and I still cover a a lot of those firms today, you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Charles Schwab, uh, Blackstone, you know, large kind of relevant traditional uh, players, but, you know, really the last decade, um, particularly coming out of the financial crisis, I got really interested in um, where technology intersects with financial services, because it was very clear that there was a big opportunity for platforms to not only disrupt, but provide kind of a better user experience um, and, and and scalability on a technology backbone. And so uh, we started to spend a lot of time in the fintech world, and I'm um, getting to know a lot of the private companies, uh, many of which are now uh, just starting to go public. So um, I've been formally in this role from earlier this year, um, but, you know, kind of still bridge the gap between traditional financial services and, you know, all the, the cutting edge uh, fintech platforms that, uh, you know, we've gotten to know pretty well over the years.
1: Yeah, you and I joked uh, before we started recording that each of us has very good job security right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, it's a busy time in the space. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, this past year, especially just with, uh, firms starting to go public, um, you know, in the space, and um, you're just seeing, you know, a lot of capital go into the fintech uh, world, and I think uh, that's happening across the spectrum, whether it's consumer-facing um, platforms, whether it's business-to-business. Uh, uh, you know business-to-business, um, you some great infrastructure, kind of picks and shovels um, firms out there, and you know, payments is a huge space as well. So there's just a lot of uh, innovation happening, a lot of capital flowing into the space.
1: I remember some of the um, initial conversations we had was largely around both Goldman and their Marcus product, as well as some of the the robo advisors. Where are you spending most of your time these days outside of two of the you know well known IPOs, Robinhood and Coinbase, are two that you cover a lot. Yeah,
0: I think um, a lot of time has been around you know the theme of holistic. Um, financial services, and you know, this is something I think you and I probably spoke about years ago, where you know we had written a lot about um, technology being utilized to connect together um, different financial products and, and really uh, create a democratization of access to products. And you're seeing that um, that happen now. And so um, it, it's both the democratization um, of Financial services, but also, um, you know, really the the scalability um, and and the connectivity between um, products and services, and so this kind of holistic all in one um, platform. You know, we're seeing a number of firms that have recently gone public, whether it's firms like Robinhood or uh, SoFi, that really are looking to deliver, I think, an experience to the end consumer um, that that kind of hits across their financial service needs, You know, optimizing their assets and liabilities. And so that's something we've spoken about a lot for years, and now it's, it's really starting to accelerate. So that's one place we're spending a lot of time, and, and the newer theme in there is um, You know, digital assets and and crypto, and that's a big focus of, you know, some of these companies, but we're also spending a lot of time just getting to know, um, you know, the crypto ecosystem and the digital assets firms. You know, there's just a huge infrastructure building underneath this, you know, two and a half to three trillion dollar Asset class, you know, we estimate there's you know 500 billion dollars or so of value in the companies that are providing the on and off ramps to that space. So we're spending a lot of time there um, and, and getting to know a lot of those companies, and have been doing that for years. And then you know, I think that another big wave of opportunity in fintech is going to be um, in the picks and shovels to financial services, meaning you know the firms that are helping um, you know, aggregate data, provide AI, mm-hmm. fraud management. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of opportunity for um, companies to be the kind of that next generation of infrastructure to financial services, um, you know, software providers. And so um, that's another area where we're spending a fair amount of time and I think is a big opportunity uh, for the market.
1: So I mentioned too that you, you cover that our public. And for those that don't know, that when analysts cover different stocks for banks, they usually have... Different ratings on them and price targets. What are your your ratings and price targets on these firms that are that have gone public in the past year that you know our listeners are super familiar with?
0: Yeah, what I would say is, um, you know, a couple of them are. It's always a bit stale because we're not writing research reports um, every day, um, so the price targets are a little bit of a moving target. But um, you know, firms like Robinhood, uh, Coinbase, is maybe two examples. We have market outperforms. On, on both of those, those are kind of more recent um, additions to the public company mix, um, and, and I think you know are very different companies in, in some ways, but also have followed a, somewhat of a similar path in terms of both have been incredibly successful at um, at, at really growing their customer base, and um, you, you don't do that um, out of nowhere. You do that by delivering um, a product or service that's differentiated, but they're very good at uh, scaling and, and scaling new products and. Ultimately, bringing customers for you know very reasonable um, cost of acquisition, and so um, you know both companies have had you know, pretty um, you know, pretty pretty exciting trajectories thus far. But we're still bullish on both moving forward. Robinhood um, is a bit of a story around can they become one of the successful um, single money apps out there? And you know it's it's a concept that I think you know people are somewhat dismissive of because um, it's been talked about for decades. I remember covering banks. 20 years ago and, you know, this big theme of cross-selling across a bank and being able to become kind of that financial supermarket and never really succeeded. Um, One of the reasons it didn't succeed is because you didn't have technology that was scalable, which is very different today. And it was also, you know, really an awful kind of customer experience. And so um, I think some of the friction points that existed 20 years ago don't exist today. And I think technology can be harnessed in the data that, you know, really is rich that you can generate from this holistic relationship with the customer Um, is going to enable firms um, to be able to offer um, a a full suite of financial products. And that's going to be a compelling offering. And so I think we're in the early innings of kind of that coming through, but we're starting to see firms like Robinhood, like SoFi, um, start to to gain some traction there. And then Coinbase um, is interesting, because I think you know, people look at coinbase as a exchange for trading and you know, buying and selling crypto assets and that's uh, obviously where they've had a lot of success and you know, generates the majority of the revenues today I would argue that coinbase um, is well uh, beyond just a crypto exchange you know they are really, building, and I've, I've drawn this analogy before, kind of the, the Amazon AWS uh, of the crypto economy. And so what that means is that if you think that crypto is going to grow, and I think we're in the first inning of kind of this crypto economy developing, Coinbase is going to have a role in a lot of that development, way beyond just buying and selling um, Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of the other assets that um, you know, people generally know. So Coinbase, to me, they're the most developed in terms of strategy around kind of the, the future Of crypto, they have a lot of experience. They've clearly made mistakes over their nine-year history, but that experience is incredibly valuable in a world that's complex. You know, having unique custody issues in crypto, um, unique regulatory um, uncertainty um, in the crypto space, um, and and also the engineering capabilities that are required um, to succeed here. And Coinbase has all of those. So a lot of firms that are interested in entering the crypto space today, you know, have some of the attributes you need, whether it's resources, or you know, they, they understand potentially where the market is going, but they don't have um, that engineering expertise, or, or vice versa. So I think that for Coinbase, they're in a great position where as this market evolves, you know if a lot of firms that people from the outside, you know, investors of ours, and even probably some on the sell side as well, think are going to ultimately become competitors of a firm like Coinbase are or, or really going to be uh, their clients or their partners. And I think you see one example of that is this you know, Facebook, Um, wallet, you know, the Novi um, release where Coinbase is going to be the custodian um, there. And, you know, I think that there's going to be probably more to do in partnership. And so there's a lot of opportunities for, I think, large firms to enter the space and Coinbase has a lot of experience to be helpful there, just as Amazon, you know, as they solved a lot of complex problems early in their history said, let's open up our platform to outside companies because we're confident in what we've built. So I think Coinbase is in a, in a great position. So a lot of exciting things. The last point, uh, and this kind of goes across the spectrum in FinTech is, you know, as analysts here, you know, we tend to think about what we know, right? And you're modeling um, what the company um, has already announced, you know, as product suite or um, you know, solutions they already have in place. And so you're, you're projecting out what that looks like into the future, but what we don't do very well is is project innovation? Project um, what is unknown because you you know, just definitionally don't know it. And so I think that's where there's you know, huge optionality, huge opportunity for some of these companies that are incredibly well capitalized. There's going to be tremendous innovation as we think about the next few years here. And there's going to be a lot of things that happen that are not kind of in the playbook that we're all you know thinking about or looking at right now. Coinbase. Great example, you know, the NFT launch uh, or the announcement uh, a month or so ago, you know, that was not expected at all. It makes a lot of sense. But they had 2 million people on their waiting list in a week. Um, And that's potentially a hundreds of millions of dollar business that nobody was projecting. Um, So those are just a couple examples of of what gets us excited. But I think just the ability to connect together uh, financial services and and scale financial services in a way that hasn't happened in in the past is really uh, what's exciting about the future here
1: yeah you you basically touch on the entire reason why I own some shares of Coinbase. So I appreciate you going <laughs> into all of that. we're on We're on the same page on that one too. Um looking into valuing these companies, getting those price targets and everything, you kind of touched on this in your your past answer is that a lot of these companies are launching new things so quickly that you know it's it's got to be really tough to get price targets on these things. and Um, you know, like you said, you try to update them as much as possible, but it's, it's sort of a moving target in many cases as well, since you don't publish on each of them every single day, Mm -hmm. what are, what are some of the biggest things that you are focusing on right now in sort of implementing those? targets, or at least deciding whether something is uh, going to outperform or underperform the broader market?
0: Sure. I mean, ultimately, um, these are growth stories. So first and foremost, you need to have a growth trajectory that you have conviction in, and that's exciting, because if you don't have growth in some of these high multiple um, you know, fintech names, then um, you know it's hard to, to really justify, you know, big valuation. The good news is that, you know, a lot of these firms are growing at warp speed, and they're bringing in capital, which is going to only accelerate um, growth. And so we feel very good about it. But uh, another point I would make is that um, even though these aren't winner-take-all markets, um, you know, that, that there's room for a lot of um, leading players, and I think there's a lot of market share up for grabs, which we can get to in a moment. Um, there's a lot of firms that are getting access to capital um, that that arguably, you know everyone's not going to be a winner. And so you often see this in technology um, when you know the market is excited um, and and valuations are high, that probabilities of success, are are quite high in terms of the market's view, and ultimately, um, you know, there's only 100 percent market share, right? You can't you can't have 20 companies that are each going to take 20 percent of the market because the math doesn't um, add up. And so that's, you know, it's really kind of understanding the companies, what is their differentiating point, and, and why are they going to grow and succeed in a competitive market? And so, um, you know, that, that is a nuance, you know, across companies that we try to spend time and understand and have, you know, a macro view or bigger picture view about the addressable market, but then also, you know, confidence in what a company is is, is trying to accomplish, what their business plan is, who their management team is? Um, do we trust them? Do we believe um, that they can succeed? And so those are all important um, elements of, um, I think, of the mix here. But you know, going back to this point, you know, it is a tremendous addressable market. If you think about, you know, there's thousands and thousands of traditional financial services firms. There's thousands of banks in the market, and there's clearly a small group of of very large, you know, trillion dollar banks, Um, but there's um, thousands of of smaller banks and and many, you know, smaller financial institutions are still operating in a legacy um, framework where, you know, they have a lot of disadvantages. You know, if you think about um, the world of the past, you know, it was all um, in person, it was, um, you know, high touch and it was um, high infrastructure costs, you know, high people um, to, to operate these companies um, and, and not a lot of automation. And we're moving towards an environment where, um, you know, I'm not saying that the bank branches are necessarily going away or that people aren't going to work with financial advisors. I think that, uh, you know, financial advisors have a bright future, but, you know, the ability to deliver financial services at a very low cost and scale them on a technology backbone, really what that does is it drives much lower cost to deliver for the leading fintech companies, which puts them at a you know arguably competitive advantage relative to some of these legacy incumbent firms that have a high cost to deliver and a lot of tech debt and inefficiency and a lot of times channel conflict internally where you know, they don't have motivation to really um, upgrade their business model. And so, um, and, and then the last point is, you know, they're not getting, you know, that, the, the, the valuation um, room to, to, to be able to grow their business and invest into it because they're being valued on legacy frameworks like a price to book value basis where, you know, they have to put up relatively high operating margins and return on equity for investors to, um, to, to, to own their stock. And so they're, they're more constrained around how they operate their businesses. And so there's a lot of competitive disadvantage as I think about kind of the incumbent financial market And um, so therefore, these uh, fintech startups have an opportunity to disrupt and take market share of really huge addressable markets. And so where I see things going is this world of connectivity, where you're connecting together all these financial products so that you're helping that end customer optimize their assets and liabilities, as we talked about, Um, but, but ultimately that's going to create um, an opportunity for the firms that are providing that um, opportunity to to truly scale and have, you know, I think a a productive economic model because there's just such a large market. If you go across uh, banking and lending and investing um, and insurance, and then you start to think about expense management and, and all the other aspects of of you know, having a, a more sophisticated uh, financial life. And so I think this is ultimately going to be very good for financial services companies because it's going to provide um, an opportunity to provide better um, information uh, to them to, to make better decisions, but ultimately... For them to help provide better financial products to their end customers, um, so so we're excited about kind of where things are going here uh, and see a number of firms that are really starting to break out um, and, and deliver you know a better experience for either their customers as companies or their customers as the end consumer.
1: So we've we've sounded very optimistic so far on this podcast, which I love. Um, what what concerns you about the space, or do you think there are things that you know? would cause you to change your view on being overweight on many of these?
0: Yeah, I think there's always, um, you know, a couple things. One, you know, the macro environment. So we've been in a very conducive macro backdrop for a number of reasons. One, we just went through the pandemic where people spent the majority of their time online. So that really accelerated some of these themes that that we're talking about in people's comfort and really need to understand using uh, technology and digitization, you know, of the economy. And so I think um, that's been a positive, but, you know, clearly... You know, there could be negative aspects to the to the extent um, we go back in the other direction um, and, and people are concerned that maybe you know as the world opens back up uh, that people spend less time online and so that slows growth in some of these business models and so that can have an, a negative impact um, on you know enthusiasm around their businesses so that's um, one area um, I think the market backdrop has been conducive low interest rates high um, equity valuations. so that's created you know I think generally a good backdrop for a number of Um, of these businesses, um, and and that could change. And then, you know, the regulatory frameworks. We're in a new administration here. There hasn't been, you know, big policy change or or regulatory change thus far, but, you know, I think there's a number of areas that, you know, Gary Gensler in the SEC are focused on, whether it be topics like payment for order flow, which, you know, still receives a fair amount of attention, or, um, you know, how crypto markets are regulated, and um, that could create friction that, Changes the trajectory in some of these businesses, so I think there's still a number of areas of uncertainty that we're watching closely, and could create friction points in a near-term sense. When I take a step back, though, we're we're constructive because as you think about you know money moving, you know financial services is an is interesting space because money moves slowly, unlike other areas where technology can be disruptive and disrupt a business over the course of months. In financial services, you know, people don't generally move their bank account in in a couple weeks. You know, they may know there's a better offering out there, but it takes them time or they have a relationship with the financial advisor. And so they're not going to move, um, you know, quickly, but ultimately money does accrue to where there's the most value. And so to the extent that these businesses are providing value to the end customer, and that value differential continues to grow, then those businesses are going to continue to gain traction. And I think your know, smart regulation—you know, the regulators are looking to protect the end consumer—and I think that's um, generally a good thing. Sometimes you know there's unintended consequences, but broadly, you know, we're constructive around the direction we've been going here, and you know, feel like these are um, issues that t- typically, if you have a good you know, kind of fundamental backdrop for the space, those will get resolved.
1: If you had to pick something that you're you're most bullish on going into 2022, where would it be?
0: Well, you know, I think 2021 was the year of, um, you know, the consumer-facing... Um, Platforms, you know, the the Robinhoods and Sofis, um, you know, and and there's many others, uh, by the way, um, that have gained substantial traction and are going public. They're doing spacs and they're getting a lot of attention. And these are brand names that people know. I think as we look into 2022, um, there's a big opportunity for these picks and shovels businesses, as we were talking about earlier, companies that are providing. Uh, the infrastructure to financial services, you know, AI. You know, we actually hosted a conference a couple months back around just the theme of artificial intelligence in financial services, and you know, it's just going to be, you know, I think a huge uh, theme. You know, everyone talked about mobile as a theme, you know, 10 years ago. No one talks about your mobile strategy today. That's just part of your strategy. You have to have a mobile strategy, or your business um, isn't doing very well. And AI and machine learning, you know, I think this. this. This is something where firms are trying to understand how they can implement AI um, in a more impactful way. And as the capabilities... improve, but, you know, in in five years, it's not going to be about your AI strategy. You have to have AI and and really, you know, smarter technology incorporated in your platform just as part of your ongoing business strategy. And I think that then takes a step back to the power of data and just how data is going to be utilized and aggregated. Um, And and so, you know, I think those are a couple of big themes we're watching. And then just the the evolution of the digital asset space um, is just a you know, really tremendous opportunity. There's plenty of uncertainty around where we go from a regulatory perspective. Um, and I think that's something that we talk to investors about quite a bit and people are trying to better understand. But to me, we're in the very early innings of this. And it's one of the most exciting developments as I think about kind of where uh, this space may go. You know, Bitcoin, as everyone knows, is, you know, the original um, blockchain digital asset. Um, and And we think that Bitcoin has a very interesting use case, and you know obviously is being viewed as a, a digital alternative uh to to gold or digital store value um and has gained a lot of momentum here as uh, inflation has accelerated and, and people are really looking to opt out of existing um, you know, financial systems or um, as a hedge. And so you have this network effect that's built where there's, you know, 150 to 200 million plus users in that network, which is incredibly powerful. You know, it, it's uh, essentially on par with the Internet um, utilization, um, which I think just gives you one data point. But in, in our opinion, you know, blockchain and the digital asset space is way bigger than just Bitcoin. And so there's so much development here happening that is uh, incredibly exciting to us. You know, we think we're in the very early innings of use cases developing. And you know this notion of Web 3.0, which I think is a great analogy to where the world is going, what that means to me is that you're essentially transferring value from third party um, intermediaries, whether it's in the technology field or financial services or other um, products and services throughout the economy and you're transferring that value back to the end user. Um, so the end user is able to monetize their time and their energy in ways that, that haven't existed before and so that's incredibly exciting. Now. Again, you know, I think the the devil's in the details of how this all gets implemented and what the network effects are around the various uh, cryptocurrencies or digital assets more broadly. But I think we're in the very early innings there. And, you know, there's some really great companies um, that we just highlighted in a report um, called Digital Assets Innovators. um, And we highlighted 86 or 85 companies in that report, um, over 50 of which are private. Um, But there's just been tremendous growth in that ecosystem really over the past year.
1: Fascinating. Well, on that point, we, we should have you back in Q one of next year to to follow up on the the um the DeFi trend because I'm sure that there's gonna be a ton that continues to happen in the next couple of months. Um in the meantime, thank you so much for taking the time, Devin. It was great to catch up with you. Um next time in New York we should um catch up as well in person since it's it's been yeah, too long.
0: Love to see you, Julie. Thanks for having me on and um have a great holiday and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you, you too, Devin. Um, For anyone else that wants to follow along with fintech, go to fintechtoday.co and you can sign up for our newsletter and stay up to date on everything happening in the space. Thanks, guys.